Hello, I'm Vincent Ramirez, and welcome to In the Outside, the show where I talk with bold individuals who are navigating life in the public sphere out and proud. On this edition, I talk with Tina Strawn, a motivating fitness professional and mother of three who has found herself civically engaged in expressing her voice for change in the current political climate. She shares her journey from growing up in California to moving to Texas during her preteen years where she has spent most of her life to currently living in Atlanta, Georgia with her wife, Dorian. We discuss her religious upbringing and what it was like growing up being a preacher's daughter. She also talks about exploring her sexuality and questioning her religious beliefs later in life and what eventually led her to finding a bridge from her religious background to finding self-acceptance as a gay woman. Tina shares what life is like living in the outside. And now, part one of my interview with Tina Strong. All right, well, Tina, thank you very much for doing this. So what I'd like to do is just maybe get you to tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, so where were you born and raised? Sure. I was born in Statesville, North Carolina, and we only lived there for a year. And then we moved to California. And so California is where I consider that where I've spent my childhood in the um, Silicon Valley, actually. So my father was a preacher and the in the denomination where he preached, the bishop, who's the head of the denomination would tell all of the preachers where to go to pastor. And so my dad got an appointment to pastor a church in Pasadena, California. So when I was one, that's where we moved. And then we spent the next 10 years in California. And uh, the majority of that time was in the Silicon Valley area. And so my sister was born in Pasadena. So we were Pasadena, Palo Alto, Sunnyvale Mountain View, part of California, but we moved to Texas when I was 11. So, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I call myself Texan. You do. <laughs> so you consider yourself a Texan. That's interesting. Cause I, uh, so when I think when I first met you, it was, it was in Texas, uh, you were uh, teaching group or uh, managing uh, a department in uh, group fitness. And, um, I had no clue that you were originally from California or that you were kind of, I mean, outside of being one years old, but you know, it's been most of your uh, childhood there. How interesting. Yeah, and a lot of people um, in Texas, they knew I wasn't from Texas because I didn't sound like I was. I have not the typical Texas accent. So I always got the question, well, where are you from? And you're not from here. And so, uh, yeah, even though I do, I mean, I I lived in Texas for uh, over 20 years, over 25 years, I want to say. So I consider Texas home, even though I spent my childhood in California. Tell me, what was it like? I mean, tell me... A little bit more about yourself. Like, what were you like as a kid? Uh, so, what was <laughs> what was life like in, in California versus moving to Texas at that age? Yeah, absolutely. So, I lived a very sheltered life as a kid. Uh, again, my mom, my dad was a preacher, and my mom was a teacher. So, my life was there at school, which was a Christian private school in California, or it was at church. So, between those two places. My life looked very controlled, and um, I didn't know much about life outside of the very pretty picture that was painted for me. And I, I, but I don't have anything negative to say as far as I was a happy kid. I was happy 
and I thought everything in the world was great, and I really thought that everybody in the world was like me, and I thought everyone in the world had the same type of life experience. So I didn't really understand that there were um, that there was there were there were poor people, except for you know again being in the Christian private school I was. What we knew about Africa is that that's very very poor tribal people were, um, and, and that's that's kind of what I knew. Uh, me and my sister, my mom, my dad. Uh, I I enjoyed going to school. I enjoyed um, just uh, I, I just had a good life. I had a very happy home for the most part, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. And you mentioned that you said you have a, a, is a one is it was did you say an older or younger sister? A younger sister. She's two years younger than me. Two years. Okay. So um, and no no brothers or or any other sisters nope. besides the one. Okay. So when you um, obviously were growing up and, and kind of in a religious, essentially really kind of like a religious upbringing, uh, was it a very much of a, because your father's a preacher, you're at church every Sunday or is it? No, it was, yeah, we were definitely at church every Sunday. We were at church multiple times a week, um, definitely Wednesdays, definitely Sundays. And, um, you know, Sunday school was a thing. Vacation Bible school was a thing. Um, and my world was uh, revolved around church, really uh, revolved around church. It revolved around um, us being a pastor's family, for me being a preacher's daughter. And um, yeah, that church was a very, very big deal. My mother was what they called a Proverbs 31 woman, uh, and that oh. she, you know, was a dutiful, submissive, obedient wife who took care of the kids in her home and she was a, a great first lady it's what they call the wives of the preachers the first ladies and yeah I was your average PK so when y'all moved from um I guess from the California area to Texas was your father still uh was still a preacher or was that I mean was there yes he was and same situation in that the bishop moved him from the cow of the church he was in in California which is that church in California is where I have the most of my church memories as a kid. And, you know, of course, having, I was in the same school from kindergarten through sixth grade, that Christian private school. So that really was life to me. So it was quite devastating when my parents told us we were moving to Texas because I didn't want to leave my friends. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, uh, but at, at that age, who the, does, the bishop, right? It's, that's tough. Exactly. And, and I was only, you know, I was 11 at the time when we had to move. So, the bishop decided that my dad was going to pastor a church in Texas. And so up we rooted ourselves and off we went to Texas. And of course, as an adult later on, I would find out how political that decision was uh, from the leadership of the church. But um, yeah, that's, that's how we got to Texas is my dad was pastoring a church in Dallas where he was, that's where we were sent. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still, I mean, are you still involved with the church? Uh, I guess having that type of upbringing, uh, are you still very active in that or? No, okay. not at all. No. <laughs> okay. So very different. At what what age would you say that you kind of maybe, I don't want to say broke away from that, but maybe kind of started doing your own thing? Was it in your teenage years, later in life? Uh, Oh, it was definitely later in life. So being raised in the church and being raised at a, from a young age to have this 
um, more than awareness of God, but your whole existence. I understood my whole purpose in life for being on this planet was to glorify God, and, and that was it. So I accepted Christ into my heart as a very, very young age, and then spent the next 20 years or so trying to be the best Christian that I could be. And so even though we moved from um, California to Texas, um, my father was only with that denomination for another couple of years, and then he would break away from that denomination. We would then start to go to um, non-denominational churches in the Dallas area through my teenage years, and my faith would begin to change. Um, But I was still very much... Uh, still very sheltered, still very committed to living this godly Christian life, which was more about all the things that I couldn't do um, than anything else. So, you know, it, it was spending a lot of, I spent a lot of time feeling guilty and trying to overcome my guilt by doing better, praying more, reading the Bible more, you know, thing, things like this. Yeah. So through, um, through my teenage years, while I wouldn't say I had any... I, I wouldn't say I got too wild and crazy, but, you know, normal teenage stuff. Uh, got married at an early age and was still very much entrenched in the church and religion. Um, pulled my then-husband at the time into that with me, even though he had somewhat of a religious foundation as far as, you know, he came from a family that went to church on Sundays. He wasn't as uh, spiritual. I'll use the air quotes there. He wasn't as spiritual as me. He wasn't as spiritual as I thought he should be or as I wanted him to be. So I definitely played a role in forcing that on him uh, because I had been raised to believe and understand that the man is supposed to be the head of the household. And so I tried to help shape and mold him into that okay. uh, because I wanted to be the submissive wife. That's what I thought was my role and responsibility. So through my marriage, my early, early part of my marriage, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was dragging the family, him and the kids to church every Sunday and making sure we were involved in all of the Bible studies and the Sunday schools and, you know, going to women's groups and he going to his men's groups and prayer breakfasts and that whole deal. So I wanted to create a home that looked very much like the home that I was raised in, where church was the central um, force. And uh, I think sometimes my then husband went he went along, went along with it as much as he could, but uh, that's that was that was how I was through young adulthood. Yeah. Uh, but of course, very uh, controlled and, and manipulated by what I felt my role was as a woman, which really was not anything more than being a godly wife, being a helpmeet to my husband and yeah. raising my kids. And, and, uh, so I, I was doing that and living that type of life until my late twenties. And really I started to break away from the church after my mom passed away of, um, cancer. She had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she passed away in 2005. And that's when I, kind of just started started the slow disconnect, mm-hmm. which would gradually lead me to um, 
leaving the church completely, which would gradually lead me to really finding out who I was and, and, and almost recreating myself. So the person that I am today is the complete opposite from the person that I was, um, in my early twenties. You know, um, outside of, you know, some things that we've kind of already talked about and what, you know, what I know of you, um, uh, it is a very drastic difference. Um, uh, I know you mentioned in the beginning that you were, uh, when we talked offline that you were, uh, remarried, uh, and, uh, and your wife, uh, that you live with in Atlanta now, I want to ask you a little more about that. Okay. Uh, but I'm really intrigued on the, uh, kind of the journey finding yourself. I, obviously, I mean, it sounds like in your early part of your life, or at least in that, in that half of it, uh, religion obviously played a very, uh, a, a very central force in it. And did you find, um, at any point kind of through the process, um, did you ever see yourself at that point uh, leaving the church or ever kind of just stepping away from uh, kind of what those core values that you were being taught in the church, you know, at some point in your life? Or were you very just that committed at that point? I was completely committed. Um, I was actually very active in the church. Um, I All of the ministries that I was involved in uh, were... Um, very important to me, and I was completely committed. I, I remember vaguely that when I was 19, I volunteered at a pregnancy center that was uh, basically created to divert women from getting an abortion. So it was this ultra uber pro life place where we would, uh, I, the first word that comes to mind is lure, uh-huh. even though there's probably a better way, we would lure women into the pregnancy center with a free pregnancy test, the women who were in difficult situations, who were afraid they were pregnant, and we would try to interrupt their process between, uh, you know, between us and the abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. So I I, I mentioned that just because my whole life was at the time dedicated to uh, what I thought was God, but really what it was dedicated to was the uh, evangelical, conservative, religious right agenda mm-hmm. of being pro-life, um, so anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ, um, and basically anti-anything that wasn't Christian, mm-hmm. wasn't fundamental Christian. Uh, so, you know, I was raised to believe that Catholics were cultish, and um, my wife uh, was raised also the daughter of a preacher, and he, her father still is a pastor, actually, in the um, Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay. Wow. I was raised that Seventh-day Adventists were cults. So basically everything was a cult if it wasn't true, uh, if it wasn't evangelical Christianity. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's that, uh, that extra layer of intensity when it comes to... Um, I mean, obviously, you're now in a. Uh, uh, you now have a wife as a, a partner, and uh, was that? I mean, at any point during that time period, were you uh, either you know like kind of a questioning yourself, or was it things that you kind of felt like, oh, like this is just kind of conflicting with maybe some things that you were feeling? Was do you feel that maybe, maybe at a certain point there was some some pressure, or you know, how, how was that experience for you in that environment? 
So what I remember now is that uh, my very first sexual experience, I remember my first physical experience, I was very, very young. And it was with a girl, a, a young girl who was my age. And we were playing around, as, as I'm sure kids were. But I mm-hmm. remember that almost as one of my most vivid memories in, from childhood, which is odd. Um, moving on from that, I've, mm-hmm. I definitely had feelings at times, but nothing that caused me to feel that I am anything other than supposed to be with a man. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to describe it as I was conditioned to grow up and marry a man and there were no other options, no other alternatives. And I, I honestly don't think I even knew or met or saw um, a gay person until I was maybe in high school. Oh wow! So it wasn't anything that I was exposed to. And I just didn't even know that that was a thing. So while I had um, feelings at times, it was definitely something um, that I did not allow myself to, um, I, I just didn't allow myself to uh, think too much about, put too much stock into until I was um, older. I was adult and I was married mm-hmm. and I actually started having a lot of vivid dreams um, about women. But okay. during my marriage, I was still very, uh, very religious, very much caught up in church and knowing how evil and wrong and sinful it was for me to have these dreams. So I went down this whole path of uh, of really trying to explore um, <laughs> what happens to my soul right. when I sin in my dreams. Like it was, uh, I remember I would have girlfriends of mine. I told a couple of my very close girlfriends at the time that I was having these evil, sinful dreams about women. And we would fast and pray over my dream life and that, you know, we were convinced that I was being tormented by a demon. Um, so it was something that we, that I dealt with when I was married. It's not something that I ever shared with my husband. It was just something okay. that I, I had this internal struggle with Yeah. to the point that when um, my husband and I got divorced, I knew that I wanted to take time to explore whatever that was going on with me mm-hmm. before getting into another relationship. Okay. And so that's kind of how it started. I don't know if you mentioned this actually, did you, you have kids as well? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. I do. And, um, I guess during that time period of the marriage and everything, um, and you said that you never, you never talked to your, uh, I guess now your ex at that point your, your husband at that point, um, kind of about some of the things that you're feeling, but you mentioned you opened up to some, uh, some close friends about it. Um, it, these were friends that were, were they involved with the religion as well? Absolutely. Okay. I, I didn't have any friends who weren't. <laughs> okay. That's, those are the only people that I knew. Okay. All right. So that was kind of yeah. your, your, your circle of, uh, kind of that, that, uh, world that you're living in with, uh, so the, all your friends and the people that you're associated with were, were, were part of right, that same religion. Right. I, how long, have, I, I, I guess, the, I guess the question would be, how long have you been out? I would say I'm living my life. I've been out nine to 10 years. Okay. Nine nine to 10 years. Okay. And at this point in your life, you've divorced. Um, You're recognizing that there's obviously a world outside of the religion that you're you're in. Um, (laughs) Did, how how was that process and journey for you? When you were 
kind of brought up and raised in a in a certain way, uh, religion and this this factor of life. Those things kind of, I think, after a while get just ingrained in you, right? Um, and they become part of just the things that, that make that make you up from a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah, for sure. After your divorce, and, and would you say that it was something that took time to kind of uh, reconcile, I guess? Maybe it was the word I'm looking for? Absolutely. Okay. No, absolutely. So... I really think that I started this journey of questioning everything after my mom passed. My mom was my best friend. We were very close. Uh, But again, she was a very religious woman. So very, very proper. um, Practically, she was, I call her my Mary Poppins, in that she was practically perfect in every way. Um, Mm -hmm. She never smoked, never drank, never said bad words. And she just wanted to be the ultimate wife and mother. That's truly who she was and that's Mm -hmm. what I remember of her. And so when she died that, you know, when, when you lose uh, a parent, especially if you were very close to that parent, for me, uh, losing my, not only my best friend, but my first friend and and really the woman who uh, was the foundation to who I was, that kind of began a slow unraveling. So my grip on the church and my grip on religion started to loosen just enough to where some the, the, the doubts that I had, even though I didn't have very many, any little doubt just started to, uh, a little seed started to grow there. And then would begin to, you know, the more that I, I, I leaned into those doubts and started to ask more questions, those doubts grew. And I eventually, uh, over the next several years, would go through the process of um, realizing that this is this is not who I really am. And not just it's not who I am. I don't believe that there is there is this heaven. I don't believe there is this hell. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that only certain people go there, which is that was revolutionary for me because I've been raised to believe uh, this very rigid path of salvation to mm-hmm. heaven. Um and so it's 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 very much like you said as far as the reconciling with my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'll even say that really me stepping away from the church and from that spiritual foundation wasn't even about my sexuality. It, it started with my questioning about hell. Yeah. That's really where it began. Um, I just could not process that people were sent to this fiery, this literal fiery lake of, of, of fire and yeah. brimstone. And, and that was a real thing. Right. So yeah. then as I started to expand in my experiences, expand the people that I allowed myself to spend time around, because again, like I mentioned, my world began as a child, very sheltered and controlled with people who also believe the same way that we did, whether it was church or the Christian private school. And then I just grew up and got married and also, again, you know, forced my family, my then husband and my kids to be in church every single moment that we could be. Right. So when I started to expand just my knowledge of other people and other belief systems and just learning more than just the Bible, reading more than just the Bible, yeah. that's when I, I began to um, let go of my tight grip on religion. And from the from my sexuality perspective, mm-hmm. there's a book that I read 
um, it was given to me by um, two friends that actually had so much to do with helping me um, begin to accept and embrace who I am as a queer woman. Um, and Sylvia and Donna, they gave me a book. And the book is called Stranger at the Gate mm-hmm. by Mel White. Um, I want to say that Mel White was one of the founding members of Cathedral of Hope in Dallas, Texas, which at the time was, and perhaps even still now, one of the largest gay churches in the in the world. Mm-hmm. But reading that, he was um, a big part of the evangelical movement, Christian movement, in the 70s and the 80s, and such a big part that he was a speechwriter for many of the of the um, you know for the Billy Grahams and 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 the Pat Robertson. So he was just very very uh, connected in that circuit, yeah. and and just wanted to live his life as a good Christian man. He got married to his wife. They had kids, knowing the entire time in his heart that he was a gay man. Okay. But for years and years and years, you know, praying against it and fighting against it. Um, and just trying to be a good Christian and hope that God would accept him until he finally got to the point where he, um, you know, acknowledged who he was and acknowledged that this is who God made him to be, and there was nothing wrong with it. Um, and so, anyway, that book was the uh, one of the beginning bridges for me mm-hmm. from my religious background to accepting who I was um, as a gay woman. Stay tuned for part two of my interview with Tina Strawn, and don't forget to subscribe to In the Outside podcast and share it with all of your friends and leave reviews. I like to joke that I was the last person to know, what is this thing that I have with women? What, let me just figure this out and let me, I'll, I'll start dating women and see what that's all about. That first year is when I would gradually start to come out in my personal and professional relationships. Each time I did, every time I would voice something about me liking a woman or being with a woman, I would feel that much stronger, that much more confident, and just, you know, I'd I'd feel brave, and I'd have this relief.